Sentire Media. Hi there. No, this is not Mike, but no worries. He will be here soon enough. My name is Marco and I'm the host of the podcast Storia d'Italia, which as you can probably imagine is just the history of Italy in Italian. I cannot tell you how much I love Mike's work. Mike brings color and passion to the complex history of the peninsula after the fall of the Western Roman Empire. I think Mike is a wonderful storyteller and he can always make me laugh with his humor and impersonations. If you are listening to this podcast, you are probably a fan of Italian history. Se parlate italiano o volete imparare meglio l'italiano, well, why don't you come visit me at Storia d'Italia? I started a bit earlier than Mike, from the Battle of the Milvian Bridge in 312. So if you join me, you will have a recap of the centuries between Constantine and Romulus Augustus. But that's enough for now. Time to leave you to the excellent British English of my counterpart of the history of Italy. Hello everyone, and welcome to A History of Italy. Episode 49 Arrivederci Arabs The Emirate of Sicily Part 1 One recurring aspect about living in a country is that you are very often the one who actually visits less of that country than a tourist. Luckily, that's not my case. I have visited almost all of the 20 regions of Italy or at least driven through them. I'm only missing three, Calabria, Basilicata and the main island of Sicily. I would love, for example, to go to Marsala in the west, perhaps sit in a courtyard, a bagu, and eat some nice Sicilian sweet, maybe a cassata. Well, all of these words, Marsala, bagu and cassata, are traces of the medieval Muslim domination of the island of Sicily. Before we get into the story of the Arabs in Sicily, I just want to clarify the terminology. I will be using the term Arab to indicate the Arabic-speaking peoples that came to Sicily starting in the early 7th century. I will also at times use the term Saracen, which was used at that time by the Western Europeans. It is a word of Greek origin, meaning people from the East. And finally, I will also use the term Muslims, although obviously I know that not all Arabs are Muslims, and not all Muslims are Arabs. Although the Muslim conquest of Sicily actually took place in the early 9th century. The first raids in the area can be traced back as early as 652. The small Sicilian island of Pantelleria was actually taken as far back as 700. Now, I must say that if you're going to acquire some property around Sicily, Pantelleria is a great place to start, as it is halfway between Tunisia and Sicily. It is today famous for its yummy capers 
and an excellent dessert wine called Pasito di Pantelleria. If you're thinking of visiting the island, you need to keep a couple of things in mind. First of all, if you're not crazy about flying, and particularly landing, it's not the place for you. You have to go between two mountain peaks to head to the runway, and since it's a very short runway, the pilot slams on the brakes the moment you hit the ground. Your stomach is not aware of this, so you will have to find it in the seat pocket in front of you. Furthermore, make sure that you check the weather forecast. We were told before going that in Pantelleria it is always sunny. We arrived on the Saturday and it rained until the Thursday after. Consider that then there were no museums or any indoor entertainment. Luckily, the European Cup was on at the time, so we had something to look forward to in the evening, at least as long as Italy was still in the Cup. A further complication came from the fact that Mrs. A History of Italy was rather pregnant with our first child, and that complicated matters a bit and meant that we had to lay off the passito a bit more. Anyway, the island of Pantelleria fell to the Muslims long before the invasion of the main island. This all kicked off in 826. That was the year in which a new stratego, the Byzantine ruler of the island, was elected, Constantine. Almost immediately after that, he had a clash with the admiral of the Byzantine navy, Euphemius. This could have been either because of the admiral doing some unauthorized raiding or because he had been a bit naughty with a nun. In any case, Euphemius wasn't going to hang around to be punished. He rebelled. However, he couldn't do it on his own. He didn't have the numbers. So, he looked southwards to the emir in North Africa, Ziadat Allah I, of the Aglubid dynasty. So it was that in June 827, 100 ships carrying 2,000 soldiers and 700 horses, at least according to the Arab historian Al-Nuwayri, disembarked onto Sicilian land near present-day Marsala. Indeed, its name comes from the Arabic language, Marsa Alam, the port of God. The first city to fall was Enna. The Byzantine commander from there fled to Calabria, where he then died. The Arabs headed straight down to the capital of the Byzantine Tema of Sicily, Syracuse. The Tema being one of the administrative divisions in which Byzantine Italy was divided. They accepted the submission of the neighboring towns, but the city itself, Syracuse, closed its gates. The siege caused great difficulty also to the besiegers and revealed the lack of preparation of the troops. Hunger and pestilence didn't help either. The siege was lifted and, after taking the town of Mineo, the army made its way up to Palermo. Now, Syracuse is in the southeast of the island and Palermo 
is all the way up in the northwest. So that meant crossing the whole island. This was worth it because help was coming to Palermo. The help was coming from the Spanish Arabs, who laid siege to the city by sea, while the land army, well, by land, obviously. The city came to terms, and in 831, many of the inhabitants left. Sources put the remaining numbers at around 3,000, out of a previous total of 70,000. Obviously, we can't really count that much on the accuracy of the numbers. The fall of Palermo started up a new phase in the Arab occupation of the island. They had a strong foothold in many areas, and now, with Palermo, they had their new capital. They could continue their raids from a position of strength, which they did, focusing on the area around Mazzara, with the raids coming not only from the island itself, but also from Africa. Between 842 and 845, they took Messina, taking advantage of the proximity to the sea. This was also thanks to the help of ships from the city of Naples. The fact that a city which, at least nominally, was under the authority of the Byzantines, showed the complex crisscrossing of politics and interests at the time. The area remaining in Byzantine hands was located in mountainous terrain, therefore hard to fight in. The cities of Taormina, Syracuse and Catania still stood defiant. Almost 25 years had passed since the initial invasion when in 851 a new leader was sent to Sicily, Al-Abbas ibn al-Fadl, a strong military leader who was able to take the fortification of Castro Giovanni. The Arabs were now strong and consolidated enough to start harassing the shores of mainland Italy herself. The leader, known as Wali, died in 862 and was replaced by Hafaga ibn Sufyan, who in turn also lasted 10 years before he was assassinated. His son, Muhammad, was also assassinated. This was an indication of the fact that, although the Muslim conquest of Sicily continued, all was not always well among the invaders, and they by no means acted with a single mind. The year 877 saw the start of the siege of the Byzantine capital of the island, Syracuse, Syracuse. New siege technology was brought in at this point, with ballistas and mangonels that could fire in almost straight lines, unleashing more power than the traditional ones with the large arc shots. The city resisted to the last and, as was the custom in medieval warfare, suffered greatly for their determination. Now all that remained in Byzantine hands was the remaining part of the mountainous area to the northeast, which would hold out until the early 10th century, over 70 years after the initial Arab invasion of the island. Despite the great moral victory in Syracuse, things were getting worse for the Aglabids in Sicily 
and in general throughout their empire. In the same year of the fall of Syracuse, Iwahil Gafar ibn Muhammad was assassinated in Palermo by some members of his own family. They were promptly deposed by a rebellion and sent off to Africa to be executed, but it was yet another sign that things were not all that serene. The new leader attempted further expansion towards the areas of Catania and Taormina, but with no luck. We must also remember that this is the period that saw a resurgence of the Byzantine presence in Italy, with the reconquest of areas of Calabria and Puglia on the mainland. A new leader was installed in 885, Sawada ibn Muhammad ibn Hafaga. That's a mouthful, I'll tell you. But just a year after, another rebellion broke out, followed by yet another in 890. These rebellions revealed divisions also along geographic lines, with Palermo pitted against Agrigento, and also along ethnic lines, with Arabs facing up against Berbers. Things turned a bit for the better when Ibrahim II came over from Africa, and in 902, despite the three levels of defences, he was able to take the city of Taormina the last great Byzantine stronghold after Syracuse. The remaining area soon fell, and finally, over 70 years after the first expedition to the island, the Aglabids could finally claim all of Sicily for themselves. The irony was that they were able to make this claim just in time for the Sunni Aglabids to lose their empire to the Shiite Fatimids. We don't really have the time and I don't have the knowledge to go into the difference between Sunni and Shiite Islam and the transition from the Aglabids to the Fatimids. In this sense, I really recommend listening to The History of Islam podcast by Elias Belhadad, which I have just discovered and am really enjoying. It is enough for us to know that in 910, with the arrival of Ibn Abi Hinzir, in Palermo, there was a new regime in town. The Fatimids had arrived in Sicily. Not everyone was happy about the regime change, obviously, and between 917 and 935, there were a series of rebellions. When yet another rebellion broke out in 947, the Fatimid regime brought in a member of the Banut Kalb family. It is under the Kalbids who ruled the island in the name of the Fatimids that Arab Sicily would see its golden age and become, in all but name, an independent emirate. Despite the fact that we have reached the apex of the Muslim domination of the island, we are also not that far from the beginning of its end. So next time, after looking at what it would have been like under Arab domination, we'll see the Arabs off the island. Thanks, as always, to everyone very much for listening. At the beginning of this episode, you heard from Marco Capelli, host of the sister podcast Storia d'Italia. Marco does a great job of bringing history to life and making it engaging and interesting with just the right amount of humour thrown in. 
If you're interested in studying the Italian language as well as the history, it's a great experience. You can find it on most podcast apps. Remember that's Storia d'Italia. Remember that's S T O R I A space D apostrophe Italia. I T A L I A. The website you can find at Storia Italia with no D dot podbean. Com. I really recommend you go over and have a look. And thanks very much to Marco for hosting the promo of A History of Italy on his podcast. As always in particular, I'd love to, I'd love to thank my lovely Patreon donors, the Anita and Giuseppe Garibaldi level, Ed, Jeff, Joshua and Sean, the Matilde di Canossa and Giuseppe Mazzini level, Benjamin, Maddie, Roberta, Scott and YR. The Margherita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Ben, Silane, Chris, Dean, Ignazio, Jay, Caitlin, Kevin, Shelby, Stephen, and Vincent, and of course the top level, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri, Sen. Thanks to all of you. Remember that if you want to support the program, you can go over to patreon.com slash a history of Italy where you can become a supporter and also have access to extra content. On our website, you can also get in touch, hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, and at the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to social media, look at timelines and maps to help you navigate our country's complicated history. Thanks again very much to everyone, and until next time, arrivederci. Ah, yes, uh, Euphemius, uh, what can I do for you? Well, I was wondering, since we've defeated the Byzantine contingent and everything... Yes? Well, when are you leaving? Ah, uh, well, yes. Uh, we thought maybe since we were uh, here, uh, we'd uh, take a few more cities. You know, maybe Palermo? Oh. And uh, maybe, why not, uh, Messina? But... And uh, maybe just a few others. Excuse me, but how long are you planning on staying? Oh, maybe just a few hundred years. Oh, crap. Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy, and we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy.
With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.